Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Mesh Tsunami podcast. This week, we're offering five conversations from episode three, our discussion on the new nozzled nomenclature. Plus, from the vault, a discussion from Easel 2023 about the nomenclature presentation, which was originally presented formally there. This conversation wraps up the episode by tying together loose ends, impact on diagnostics, what we can anticipate seeing in this initiative in the year and five years ahead, ICD codes, and how well the participants would grade their process and why. Answers touch on several different concepts, and as I frequently say about wrap-up conversations, you'll have to listen to learn. The nomenclature process was a multi-year activity with hundreds of participants and the potential to have a huge, really a huge footprint on this disease. This episode looks at how we've gotten here and what drove some of the key players in the activity. It contains an interesting piece of history, so just sit back, listen, learn, enjoy, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. So let me ask one question and then we'll roll towards wrap up because we're kind of at the bottom or top of the hour, depending on how you want to look at it. We've mentioned pharmaceutical companies a couple of times. What implications will this have for diagnostics? Do you see Do you see in the new definition any at all? Mina Bonsall. No, it's been looked at. The cohorts, when you look at the definition of Mazeld and the previous definition of NAFLD, it's in multiple cohorts. It's close to 99% overlap. So it's the same disease. So it doesn't change biomarkers, epidemiology, or clinical trial endpoints. Jeffrey Lazarus. What do you think, Mina, if I can ask, if you start with you know, high triglycerides or diabetes or, or high fasting glucose, a lot of the population, like when you look at NHANES, is going to need to be tested for steatosis. So to so the definitions Ultimately, when we look at the, you know, the NAFLD and MASLD are, are largely overlapping. But when we talk about going into the population, like who's at risk, does it make it more complicated? Will we, will we really need to test so many people? How do we prioritize? I mean, I don't think anybody's advocating. I don't think you can really screen on a population level purposefully. I think that, you know, you need to have a heightened awareness in high risk groups. But I, I don't think that we can and in high risk groups screen those patients. But I don't know if at a population level, if it's going to result in more work. Is that what you're asking? I don't a little know. bit. Yeah. I mean, so is, is ASLD recommending screening then in all people with diabetes type 2? Maru Renella. I think diabetes is actually the perfect place to start, quite honestly, because it's defined. You know your population. You either have diabetes or you don't. And, and that's obviously, they're a population that are attributed to primary care doctors. So primary care doctors know their population. There's already emphasis on testing for end organ damage. So people have to look for diabetic retinopathy or eye disease, diabetic kidney disease, diabetic hepatopathy, diabetic related liver disease. So I think from a rollout perspective and getting buy-in, that's the perfect place to start. And then that will start to, okay, they, you know, be, you know, to the other metabolic, you know, having at least one metabolic risk factor. And that was already recommended anyway. So even in our guidelines last year, you know, we recommended that diabetics be primarily screened uh, for advanced fibrosis because they're at such high risk. Um, So that was already out there before the nomenclature thing even came out. So this just elevates it, I think, more the importance of that risk. Yeah, that that was going to be my question is whether specifically that, which is whether, in fact, as you redefine the disease, so that it's not just diabetics or have a high probability of getting this, but they seem to have a more common foundation. Do you 
believe over time that will make it easier to motivate or more motivating on its own for doctors to screen? I think the more ways that we highlight the the association between the most impactful risk factor, which is diabetes, and the presence of fat in the liver or steatosis, and drive home the point that that patient is at risk for advanced liver disease, I think the awareness will start to go up because even in endocrinology clinics, endocrinologists are often not aware uh, of that being such an important risk factor. There's a misunderstanding that if you just treat the diabetes, their liver will be fine. And that's, of course, not true. So I think that every little thing will hopefully end up in more awareness in those high-risk patients, particularly. Louise Campbell. I think there are different questions here, and it depends which question you ask. If you ask, is screening for liver disease an effective way in population screening to find liver disease? So very specific, then the answer is probably no, and it's exactly targeting the diabetes population. If we then take the research and develop into the Healthy Liver, Healthy Lives sort of programs, is screening for a metabolic risk factor in the liver that is intrinsic to the development of and many type 2 diabetics, those with cardiovascular disease, which are the two of the biggest leading causes of lives lost, and the liver is a component of that, that is a different question. And screening very early for something that patients and people engage with that changes their liver to change their lives, given that it's the second leading cause of working lives lost in Europe, that is a different question. And that's the question we should be asking the politicians and healthcare, not the end-stage organ disease. Because by looking earlier, we can avoid the end-stage retinopathy. We can avoid the end-stage vascular. We've got to be looking earlier for metabolic health. You're absolutely right, Louise. The issue is just resources. That's that's the only major limitation with that. But you're right. So, question, as we start to roll towards the end, what will we see in this process one year from now that we've not seen today? How do you see the rollout and the acceptance and adoption of this entire thought pattern emerging over the next year? I think with the approval of a drug, that will really help because I think that when primary care endocrine can say something other than, you know, exercise, diet, et cetera, that there's actually now a therapy and they want to link their patients to care. I think that will really help increase awareness over the next year. Okay. Anything else? I see continued uptake by more and more people. And I see not just people switching from NAFLD and to MASLD, but people going from nothing because they don't know about this to MASLD. Because um, this is this is our moment to raise awareness about the disease, not just promote name change. I mean, we need to move now into awareness raising about metabolic dysfunction associated with steatotic liver disease. And if you're in a clinic and say that means you have excess fat in your liver or you want to call it fatty liver disease, that's fine. But patients can also go home and say, I have MASLD, it's a liver issue, and these are the things I need to do. We're in awareness raising mode, and I see that going on and on. I hope, you know, within a year we have even better engagement with the World Health Organization. We're planning an event, a side event at the United Nations General Assembly in September. So I hope we start to see pick up at WHO as well. Because right now, even if it's the leading liver associations, this is very much a bottom-up approach. You know, we need this top-down approach where, like with other therapeutic areas, ministries of health, governments, you know, meet in Geneva and they agree on a diabetes strategy, an HIV action plan. So we need stay at liver disease, we need parity with steatotic liver disease with other non-communicable diseases. We're not asking for exceptionalism. We're just asking for parity with the other five major NCDs. Mike Battelle. 
curiosity drives knowledge and the desire to learn and grow. And I'm talking about the general population. So I did, while we were talking, uh, just a quick search. Over the last month, there were 5,600 searches under fatty liver that found the Fatty Liver Alliance's website and 99 for steatotic liver. So a year from now, I imagine it's going to be more balanced as people start to look for what is that steatotic liver that we keep hearing about. So that'll be one. That's an easy thing to measure. Yeah. Or that the fatty liver search automatically takes you to muscle. In other words, it automatically directs you to that. And I think that would be great. Well, Google, if you like, I, I showed somebody at the meeting. So if you search muscle, this is, did you mean naffled? That's the best lie ever. <laughs> that'll, that'll be one test of things are changing. How when it goes the other way around, like a navel doesn't mean muscle. Mina, what do you think might happen with ICD codes in the next year? And what impact will that have on how anybody thinks about this? Well, I think from, I think the goal is really to have the same code be uh, applicable, whether you code NAFLD or MASL, because we don't want any confusion right now in this transitory period, and we don't want payers giving us a hard time. So I think the goal is that we want to MASL equals NAFLD equals the same ICD code, NASH, MASH, ICD code, and the downstream complications. They should be equivalent from an ICD-10 perspective over the next couple of years. Yeah, currently there's no plan for MET-ALD to be its own ICD category, at least not from our initial uh, submission process. So. Thanks, Maroon. In my public speaking days, I used to give people a dollar if they anticipated the next question, so you're a dollar ahead right now. Um, <laughs> that's great. Thank you for that. Just in closing, if you had to look at this entire process and give it a grade against expectations from what you might have expected when you went into it, where would you put it? What would you grade it? Brave one, go first. I'd grade it high. I'm pretty biased, but um, we set out, you know, to change the name and to get global buy-in. We did that. We realized we needed a Met ALD. We did that. More and more societies have taken this up. Um, we've leveraged this for a side event at the World Health Assembly, a side event, a virtual side event at the executive board of the World Health Assembly. I think it's gone great. I, I would, I would, if there were things that could be done better. Yeah, it took a really long time. So, pro but process was incredibly important. It wasn't just the outcome. It was having an engaging, transparent process. Everybody knew what was going on. Everyone could see those results and where there was disagreement and who was involved. And I think that's what sets this apart from any other um, similar process related to muscle. So if we're grading it, is that an A? or an, It sounds like not quite an A plus because it didn't go fast enough, but is that an A? I would give it an A. We have a name and we're happy with it. But again, I'm pretty biased. I think we've got mostly champions on this call, so I wouldn't expect... Yeah. No, I mean, maybe an A-, minus, right? Well, you know, maybe an A-, minus, but we're still in the... <laughs> in the A range. <laughs> I was going to go with an A minus too, Mina. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, considering that this, that, I mean, how difficult the process was and how many disparate views we had um, and we, people we had to bring together. I mean, I actually think it's turned out much better than I would have anticipated. And so you can always pick it apart, but at the end of the day, we were very purposeful about our process. We were transparent. We talked and had open discussion with people. And I don't know if it's realistic to ask that that would have been done better. We really did it about as... It's, there's no example in the medical literature that I'm aware of that's done a more robust job at this... It's something this controversial, essentially. So I don't know. That, that's... I, so I think we're done. I'm going to give it an A. Yeah. So that's a high A. Maybe even an Solid A+. Plus. A. High A. Okay. The fact is, okay. is, we have a new name. The societies have adopted it. Journals have adopted it. It's been on the cover of our society journals. It's been on the cover of related 
um, you know, society journals. And I think our success will be is that when you talk to people, you say, have you ever heard of mast cell? And they say, oh, I've heard of it. I don't really know exactly what it is, but I've definitely heard of it. And five years down the line, everybody's better been heard of it. And if they're in a risk group, they better have been tested. Or we found. Th- that was going to be my last question, which is, okay, that's an A now. What does an A look like I in five years? Dollar or whatever you want. New, York, New York is not going to get me five. Yeah, 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 you, get, you get the second dollar. That's right. What does an A look like in five years? Everybody's heard of it. Everybody's getting tested for and it. Nobody even remembers that this happened in the first place. That's that's what I would consider to be an A, that the, that the cha- it's already changed. Nobody even thinks about it again. Nobody looks back again. That would be, to me, I think a. a quality measure a quality measure for screening would be an A plus in five years. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content in this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingmash.com. We'll be back next week to discuss what we know about mazel epidemiology today. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you next week on the podcast. Bye now.